you're listening to Not True But Useful, a podcast from Cheek by Jowl. I'm your host, Lucy Dawkins, and over the course of these episodes, I've been interviewing artistic directors Declan Donnellan and Nick Ormerod about what they've learned about life and theatre in 40 years of making plays all over the world. In this bonus episode, I sat down with Declan Donnellan to hear more about his advice for actors. Hello, Declan. Hello, Lucy. So today, I'd love to talk to you about time. Now, I know space plays a really important part in the way that you think about acting, but you've also got some great advice to actors when it comes to time. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. The important thing that I'd like to say, first of all, is that as soon as you start acting, you're aware that when your acting is not going very well, you suffer from a sense of asphyxia, I think which is a kind of, you know, a sense of suffocation that you haven't got enough oxygen flowing through your body. And um, and the fatal thing is that you'll think, oh my God, I, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, and you start to push on that dreadful um, energy pedal. And I'll just push, 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 and that'll be all okay. And then it kind of isn't okay. So i just like you to think, you know, enough already with the pushing on that pedal and think about some other things that might help release the energy in you. Now, we've already talked about space, And the important thing is to understand that the space must not be the character's friend. The space is not the character's friend, because when the character looks at the space, they realise it's actually everything around them is going to hell in a handcart, and they've got to deal with that. Uh, Even in a comedy, that's the case. So the simple rule is this, that space is not the character's friend, time is not the character's friend. Time is never on our side as a character, nor is the space, because the space presents us with difficulties and so does time. So it's very dangerous to look at the situation and think, well, time's on our side, because that's the one thing time is never. It's never on our side. It's going to go too fast or too slowly. If that sounds like a bit of a generalisation, it's because it is, and it becomes increasingly true the more the stakes go up. And Maybe it's not true for everybody, but on the whole, it's a big help. That's all I'm saying. This is just advice, as is clear from the title. This is not true. It's just useful, um, I hope. But you need to make sure that time is your character's enemy. So, like, there's never enough time. The character's often in a rush. The more we start to look at the plays, particularly a good play, we realise that time is always out of control of the character. And they talk about time an enormous amount. Well, the great characters in all the great plays have quite a lot to say about time. You get it in clipped remarks from people like Regan in Lear when she um, speaks to her sister and, and snaps, we must do something and in the heat. In other words, we haven't got much time to do this deed, the deed that they want to do. If we take the classic Juliet's Beach gallop pace, you fiery-footed steeds, she wants time to speed up because time's going agonizingly cl- slowly for her because she wants to meet Romeo. Time goes agonizingly slowly for Macbeth in tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But at the beginning of Macbeth, we can feel that time is going way too fast for Macbeth's comfort zone. That Duncan's coming to their castle, but he's only going to stay the night. And that means they've suddenly got to act quickly and they've got to do the plan. They've got to do the plan fast and they've got to do the plan well and they haven't got much time to get it together. So they've only got until the morning to get it all done and before people wake up. So what are they going to do? 
they have no time to stop and think. And if they'd had more time, the play wouldn't have taken place. That's the really important thing to remember, if, is that if time were neutral, the play would not have taken place. The play only takes place because there's not enough time to do things in. And they make very, very stupid decisions because they haven't enough time to think them. So they're in a panic, and they're, they're not very good at being in a panic, the two of them. Time's never quite doing what they want. As they say, the time is out of joint. In other words, they're no longer in flow with time. Time's just doing something else. But the problem with time is it does do something else. So they, they're trying to control time. And they talk about time an awful lot, um, not to pass time, but in order to put themselves in some sense of control over time. So they do things that many dictators do, which is they try to make themselves lords of time. So lots of dictators are fascinated by big building projects that um, promise eternity. But that comes right into the text in an extraordinary way. When Lady Macbeth says to Macbeth, um, she says, I, I feel now the future in the instant, which is an extraordinary thing to say. It's quite a weird expression. She says she, she, she's so powerful, actually, she knows exactly what's going to happen, and she feels it in the instant. It's quite interesting how we do want to make ourselves in charge of time. So you build Stonehenge in order to make yourself feel a bit more in control of the seasons and you know that, that the solstice the sun's going to do a certain thing or you buy very expensive watches like Patek Philippe and Rolex but it's quite interesting because they're all about time's not in control I'm in control um, but unfortunately in a way time is in control actually I think we're all um, kind of frightened by time not just the, not just the fact the existential fact not just the, the mortality fear that we're going to die but, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big thing. Um, but also, and not only that everything comes to an end, all life is a process, none of it's a state, but just that we're just basically out of control. It's yet another thing that makes us feel hideously uncomfortable. But what Shakespeare is aware of is this is an incredible source of anxiety, and this is really useful for an actor beginning. It sounds so highfalutin, but if the actor starts to act and thinks they've got all the time in the world that they need, it's very, very dangerous. Time's not doing quite what you want it to do. Sometimes it's going too slowly, sometimes time is going too fast, and you have to kind of put yourself into the driving seat of time. But, of course, none of us actually can, and that's something that Shakespeare intuits incredibly well. Yeah, and like you say, we can see exactly how he's doing that with Macbeth. I mean, that's a masterpiece of the way that Shakespeare makes time an enemy in that play. I mean, like you said, at the beginning, time moves too fast for Macbeth, but by the end, it's moving too slowly. And actually, in almost every scene of the play, the Macbeths are experiencing time in a completely surprising way that leaves them struggling to keep up. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of that scene where Lady Macbeth finds herself waiting in a corridor whilst Macbeth murders Duncan in the room inside. And after this horrible rush all the way through the beginning of the play, where they don't have time to stop and think, where the king's coming tonight, where they have to just do it, she suddenly finds herself waiting. She finds herself with too much time, wishing things would go faster, wondering whether Macbeth on the other side of that door is dithering at the moment that he really needs to do the murder. And it's horrible for her, because as soon as she's forced to stop, as soon as there's suddenly too much time, all these feelings rush in. The memory of her father, which fills her with pity for the old man who's about to die inside the room. All these feelings suddenly erupt and she has to deal with them because time has suddenly stretched out. And she's found that she's got too much time and therefore she has to listen to the contents of her own head. It's amazing. Shakespeare's making time such a live ingredient in that play. Yes. 
And I'm afraid I think one of the ways that we use relentless music to ourselves, we plug ourselves in, is to keep um, dangerous thoughts out of our heads, actually. The reason I'm talking about music is to understand that a very, very basic level it puts us somewhat in control of time if you know how the melody is going to fall if you know when the rhyme is going to come if you're doing dancing if you're and certainly if you're dancing with somebody else or in a group of course you're all in time with you're in flow with all of those people these things start from when we're very very tiny um, like singing along saying things in unison with our parents we have to be continually reassured that we're in flow with time and that when we get out of joint with time we feel very 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 unhappy and we'll do lots of strange things perhaps to get back in flow with time and lady Macbeth's is one of the saddest which is she's going to be in control of time she's going to be the mistress of time and for all our days and nights to come give solely sovereign sway and masterdom well yeah we'd all like that but i don't think it's going to happen lady Macbeth. the worst thing that the actor can do is think that time's not a problem and I just want to say to the actor, I just think that time's an enormous bloody problem. And uh, because out of that problem, your life is going to come. But if you make neutral the intersect between yourself and the passing of time, you've put a lot of effort and put a lot of attention and a lot of work and a lot of preparation into padding yourself a very nice coffin because you're never going to breathe if you're in perfect syncopation with time. Yeah, and I mean, as you've said so many times on this podcast... Whatever is the enemy of the character is the actor's friend. Whatever's making life difficult for the character provides a huge source of energy for the actor because it means they've always got something to fight against. There's always conflict. There's always drama. There's always a problem to solve. And that means it's always going to be alive. And time is yet another one of those problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And but we have to be aware of um, hidden processes that are within us that want a comfortable time. And that's why so we're always editing out the very bit of grain that makes um, the acting wonderful. And I'm so often asking the actors not to remove it, not to remove the, the grainy bits, not to remove the, the bits from the orange juice. Don't strain it out. That's the best bit. So, yeah, so you, you live off the difficulty. You don't live off simplicity. And the really awful thing is to, if you're a director, to make the stage work more efficiently. You know, if we, if we put the teacup on that side of the table, he wouldn't have to reach to get it. Yeah, but maybe it's good of his to reach to get it. You know, that you're, you, you should be continually questioning whether the increased efficiency doesn't in fact make you lose something else. You know, that if, if the door was there, then they wouldn't have so far... No, maybe it's a good idea they've got a long way to travel. Maybe it's a good idea that it's more difficult to perform. Mm. And another maybe related thing that I've heard you say in rehearsal rooms is that it's our job to kick the script into the present moment, to try and make the scene live in the big old now. What do you mean when you say kicking the script into the present moment? I'm saying that, um, say you've got the text, I love you, and you've, that's all you're saying, those three words. There is a choice, actually. You can say, I love you, as if you'd already thought it. Or you can say, I love you, as if you're imagining it as you're saying it. In other words, it's being new minted for the first time as you say it, as if you'd never really fully realised what that actually meant until you've said it. The second is the better way to go that you're always inventing what you're saying as you're saying it, even if it's a thought you've had a thousand times before. In the living moment, it surprises you. And that's, the, for me, the, the really, really important thing. And we have to understand what demons we have in us that are always kind of trying to make things a bit safer and to make them pre-cooked and 
you know, you're, you're having your pre-cooked dinner and it's something I prepared before. But actually to actually do it now is what's really exciting to the audience and really exhilarating to the actor. If we discover something in the present moment, it must always have an element of surprise. It must always be surprising. Again, you can't really try to be surprised. It's to do with an opening and letting go of something rather than adding an extra ingredient. Oh, I'll add the ingredient of surprise. Surprise ain't an ingredient like that. It's to do with getting rid of certain things. Acting's all about living in that surprising moment and it's being in flow at the present time. So, you know, there's an, uh, there's an intrinsic difference between live theatre and recorded acting, as we see in film or TV, and there will always be that. You can't say one is better than another or worse, but you can say that theatre is unique because it takes place in a live space where you're in a live way hearing live people breathing live, and that's a, a very live flow. I could maybe give you sort of an example of it, like, well, what about when you're looking at a painting? You know, I'm always rattling on about Caravaggio because he's contemporary of Shakespeare. You know, when you're looking at a picture, um, how can you be in f- flow with it? Because, you know, it was made so long ago. Well, in a funny kind of way, you are because you're actually standing in front of that object, which has its own place in time. And, and that's the paint that was actually put on by, etc., etc. And you're actually in the presence of it. But it, it's completely different if you're looking at a reproduction of it. You know, if you look at a reproduction of it on your laptop, then you can make it bigger or smaller, you can change the colours of it, you can do all sorts of things, you're in control of it. But you don't exist in time with it. And when we exist in time with something, we naturally have flow with that thing we have we, we are more present with it but it's very dangerous if you're with um something like an image on a laptop and you can do anything to it and that's something that we do really 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 need to think about these days and really need to think about in terms of acting and acting live but how incredibly important that is being in real time in real space in real flow with the actors is really really important and that's why real theatre is of profound spiritual significance and political significance it doesn't matter what the subject matter is you're just present with other people who are actually there and we shouldn't let modern fantasies of efficiency start removing that from us that oh you can reach so many more thousands and thousands of people if you do it this way or that way yes you can and that's something else and that's fine but actually being in real time in real space with people really really does matter because it reminds us how deeply interconnected we are and it'll have lots of consequences if we ignore that and if we allow ourselves to be blunted to the living importance of that And that's why it's crucial to defend theatre. It has to happen live, even though economically it might make decreasing sense in a modern world. It's actually unbelievably important that we do that and that we celebrate the fact that we are together. Well, on the note of time, I think that's all we've got time for today. So thanks very much, Declan. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Not True But Useful. Over the next bonus episodes, we're interested in answering your questions. So if you've got a topic you'd like us to explore more, drop us a line on social media or info at cheekbyjowl.com. We can't wait to hear your questions. The music you're hearing now was composed by Sergei Chekrashov for Cheek by Jowl's production of Three Sisters. Three Sisters.